If you got your bulletin, I invite you to open it up. And uh, I'm going to be sharing some truth with you today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says this. The pastor's and teacher's responsibility. We can't miss this. We can't dodge this. When you think of responsibility for a pastor and teacher, Paul lays out spiritual gifts in Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, strong word. The pastor's and teacher's responsibility is to equip, equip, equip God's people. Say that with me. Equip God's people. The responsibility of a pastor teacher is to equip God's people. Those people that say that they've repented of sin, they've placed their faith in Jesus, equip my people. He goes on to say, equip God's people to do his work. Equip God's people, build up the church, the body of Christ, until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son. Unity, unity, and maturity, he says, so that we'll be full grown in the Lord. God's desire for each and every one of us that walk in here week after week is that you would mature, grow up in the faith, mature in the faith, and become the man and woman of God that God desires. Makes sense. So I take that responsibility very seriously, and I take that assignment very seriously. Uh, This passage screams, disciple the people, disciple the people. Not entertain, even though we have fun here, but it's to equip, not entertain. Now, I want to take a test with you today. How many of y'all would be honest and say you enjoy taking tests? Raise your hand. Really? How many of y'all hate taking tests? Raise your hand. How many of y'all did not do well when you took tests? Raise your hand. Now, I was in the third of the class that made the upper two-thirds possible. I struggled academically for years, right? So, so but I want to take a test with you. I had a friend t- tell me years ago uh, when it came to test taking, he said, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So I tried real hard. <laughs> but uh, there ain't no cheating going on in here today. But I want to take a wealth test, and I want you to think about this for where we live as a people and where you live individually. If you live indoors and eat every day, you're in the 15% highest ranked people group in the world today as far as being the richest people on the planet. How many of y'all have a place to sleep, a place to uh, rack it at night, veg during the day? How many of y'all eat every day? Raise your hand. So I'm speaking to the richest people on the planet today. Hey, rich people. Come on, rich people. Come on. You're rich. I'm rich. If you spend more than $2 a week on a cup of coffee, you've got more than enough. If you've gone to the movies, to a concert, or even got on Netflix, if you've got over 12 channels on your TV that you can access, you've got more than enough. Am I speaking to anybody today? Yeah. If you work in a set of clothes, lounge and chill in a set of clothes, and have a different set of clothes that you even work out in, you've got more than enough. If you walked in your closet this morning and looked and said, I don't know what to wear, you got issues. (laughs) We got more 
than enough. Here, here was an interesting thing I read this week. The average American spends annually about $17,000 on house, whether it be mortgage, whether it be rent, whether it be utilities. 8500 a year Americans spend on transportation. $6,500 a year spent on food per person. So some of y'all, I think, exceed that quota. <laughs> I ain't calling names. I'm wise up here today. $2,800 a year per person is spent, listen to this, on entertainment. $1,800 a year is spent on apparel. I got an 11-year-old that will drop about $400 a year on Nike tennis shoes. Anybody got a kid problem like that? Apparel. If you look at our staff, you know we ain't spending a lot of money on apparel, okay? Uh, education. It was a shocker for me. The average person spends $1,000 a year on education. We got more stuff than any other nation. We got more stuff than any other people group, but we're not spending any of our money to get smarter. Here was an interesting thing. The average, uh, average American spends $100 a year on reading materials. A person who does not read will always be at the mercy of one who does. A person who does not read will be a slave to a person who does. The average person spends about $100 a year on what they read. In 2014, Americans spent $96 billion on beer. Jose, Jack, and Evan didn't even make this list. I'm talking beer. I'm talking Coors. Come on, bud boys. I'm talking beer. That is $454 a person a year is spent on beer. $34.6 billion is spent annually on gambling. $2.3 billion is spent on tattoos. Which I conclude that based on the $96 billion on beer, somebody got to drinking and gambled on the fact that ink would make them look better. <laughs> Do the math. Do the math. You know some people like that. <clears throat> it's like bugs on your cheeks are not going to make you look any prettier, okay? It's just not going to happen. I've seen it. Lord, what are we thinking? And then you get to the wrinkle stage and think, I should have not have been drinking and gambling on the fact that that ink. Here's a, here's a sobering one. $14 billion a year on pornography. $14 billion a year on pornania pornography. $800 million a year is spent on taxidermy. Alabama and Mississippi, I think, make up about $500 million of that. Y'all, anybody got any friends in Alabama and Mississippi? Are any of y'all from Alabama and Mississippi? Craig Shepard, you know you got fish, ducks. You got stuff hanging on your wall. And Kathy said, please get that out of the bedroom. We ain't hanging it in here. $11 billion is spent annually on coffee. The average American worker spends $14.40 a week on coffee. Thomas Pickens. And... Uh, which is about $1,100 a year annually. This does not include the consumption at home. Come on, parents. $17 billion a year is spent on video games. How many versions of Angry Birds can you download? <laughs> $65 billion is spent on soft drinks. 
And that's a good word for it because that's exactly what it does to your body. You become much softer with all the aspartame and sugar in your system. $11 billion is spent on bottled water. Listen to me, Benji. Listen to me, Jesse. We drink water out of the hose. <laughs> Any old schoolers in here remember that? Remember when water that you drank actually came out of the sink? Bottled water. $2.6 billion is spent annually on toilet paper. <laughs> Ladies, y'all got to cut us a break. Five or six sheets oftentimes is enough. You ain't got to go through a whole roll. I've watched it work. I feel like I'm cutting down every tree in the nation. Here's a sad one. Here's a sad one. $18 billion a year on late credit card fees. Jim, we've talked about this one. $18 billion. You know where, what you're doing is you're just giving money away. $40 billion a year. Is spent on yard care and landscape. That's a lot of money. When you think about where our money goes as an American people, I would conclude that we have more than enough. I would conclude again that as you research it, these are staggering numbers that so much kingdom money is being wasted on junk. Great story. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12. Jesus has launched his public ministry. A lot of cool things are going down. Someone said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I would say this would be more than enough issue. Hey, hey, tell my brother to divvy up what, I, what we're supposed to be getting based on somebody dying. He said, man, who appointed me to be your judge or arbitrator? Then he said, beware, 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 and be on your guard against every form of greed. Beware of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Let me, let me, let me declare something very clear to you today, that we live in a nation that doesn't have a need problem. It has a greed problem. Our greatest need is a personal relationship with Christ that was accomplished by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Savior. Our greatest need is spiritual. It's not material. And so many people live in ruins because of the material consumption of their life. And they find themselves paralyzed and defeated because of greed, not need. We have more than enough. We're just not content with what the basics are. So how would you define enough? It, it's subjective, and that's the problem with it. Uh, I, I got enough. What, 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 what do you mean? How would you define it? And then how would you define more than enough? Jesus goes on. He told a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. Say this with me. He had more Land was very productive. Verse 17, he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I 
have no place to store my crops. Sound like our culture? I, I got all this. It's mine. Say it with me. He had more. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods. You have more than enough laid up for many years to come. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, dude. You have won. But God said to him, God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. This very night, God's going to say, give me back my breath. This very night, your life is over. This very night, it's all, it's all over. Now, who will own what you've prepared and worked for? Who's going to get your more than enough and squander it away? How are you going to pass on this inheritance now that you're dead to that next generation that will not value what you valued and will waste what you've hoarded? Sound like our society? Sound like the consumption society in which we live? Sound like Solomon's teaching in the book of Ecclesiastes, vanity of all vanities. I go out and work my tail off every day and sweat it out and then I die and somebody else gets what I've got and they waste it away. What good is that? Vanity of vanities. Solomon says, Jesus says the same stuff here. What are you going to do when somebody else starts to own everything you've worked for? Verse 21. So, so, so is the man who stores up for himself and is not rich toward God. So is the man who consumes for himself and is not rich toward God, not rich toward God. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, what you treasure determines where your heart is. That's what he's saying. Now again, we live in a hoard and consume society. We live in a society that says get more Spend more, get more, waste more, get more, and go for the gusto. But yet Jesus in his teaching says, you've got to be rich toward God. You've got to understand God's blueprint. You've got to understand what God desires for you. Now, let me say this. Don't miss this. The Bible never says it's wrong to have wealth or money. The Bible never says it's wrong to have wealth and money. The Bible says it's wrong for wealth and money to have you. True wealth is that which money cannot buy and death cannot take away. True wealth. And so the emphasis of the scripture is what is your attitude toward your stuff, toward your more than enough. It is all about the heart. So when we start to look at where we're at as a country and where we're at as individuals, and as we look in the mirror and we start to do an examination, an introspection of our own life, I want to challenge you, I want to challenge you to look at where are you when it comes to walking in the fullness of the gospel with freedom, being a good steward and a manager of what God has entrusted to you. Where are you at with it? Where is your money go? Where does your wealth go? Now, we are at such a fun place in the history of this church. As I shared last week, we're seeing incredible growth. 
We've already baptized about 25 this year, and we've got a group of people that will be baptized next week. We're seeing salvations. We're seeing people move into obedience. We're seeing God do a lot of cool stuff. But I announced to you last week that we've got problems here on the campus. And some of our problems is limited space when it comes to our, our, our children and, and where they're able to go and where they're able to even uh, uh, have a, a spot on Sunday morning. We've got a problem there. We are at a great place in the history of this church where we can solve a lot of our problems. We've got a problem, to me, is that we have incredible uh, open field area right out here to my right that can be converted into an athletic field that can drive hundreds upon hundreds of kids and families on this campus to introduce them to sport, which introduces them to Christ and the gospel. We've got an opportunity to do that. We've got an opportunity to build more child uh, space behind us, children and student ministry space. We've got an opportunity to expand right behind this worship center so that we can blow it out so that we've got a place to accommodate growth and reach and teach and train a next generation. Anybody into that? Anybody want to see the gospel stop with you? You want to be the last in the lineage of what happens in your family? No, I want to be a part of that. But everything we're going to do is going to require resources, and it's going to require obedience from all of us. As I announced last week, Barb and I are in. Here's when we got in on God's gig on God's plan, on God's blueprint. Here's when we got in. When I first got saved, I was introduced to Larry Burkett and some of his Christian financial principles of uh, stewardship when it came to money. I started obeying God by minimally starting at the floor by saying, I will honor God with 10% of everything I make. I was a minor league baseball player. I'm playing with the Astros, and at that time, my salary was $850 a month for five months. Do the math. That's all I made as a minor league ball player. But I committed right out of the gate that I would give $100 a month off of what I was making to kingdom work. I just rounded it off. I'm like 85, might as well give 100. But I started to conclude that based on how much hell raising I had been doing the, the year and two years before on going to bars and spending money on beer and all this other stuff, it was actually a savings for me. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. God was hooking a brother up, I thought. And I'm like, man, you only asking me to invest in kingdom work 10%? He goes, well, that's where you start. It's not where you stay. And so we started, and I started obeying God in that area. Barb and I get married 25 years ago, and we started 10%. And we looked at last year, and it's like we gave about 19% of our gross to kingdom work. No, not bragging, just that we were able to keep climbing up every year of what we were able to do. Here's what I know. Every person sitting here, God wants you to get on the ladder of generosity. It's time to get off the bench and get in the game. Who's got to get in the game? He's calling all of us to get into the game. My buddy Dennis and I have talked through this and just how God has radically blessed him and Jackie and ways he never thought, he never never even thought was possible when he said, it's time to get in the game and obey God. My buddy Jeremy Patrick, who works parking, is sitting in the back. 
Amanda was coming here. Amanda does a lot of our emceeing like Chris the Joiner did, uh, did here this morning. But Amanda started coming, and Amanda cuts hair and does all this. And anyway, she's like, it's time to honor God. And Jeremy's like, I don't know about that. God gets a hold of Jeremy's heart, and now he's looking at Amanda saying, we've got to do more. And Jeremy's out here the other day with a laser shooting this field because we're going to build a stinking athletic field and reach Loganville and begin with it. But I looked at that and I said, what happened to him? He started honoring God. He got off the bench. He got in the game. He said, hey, it's time to do it. So I want to break down the different kind of levels of where people are that represent our church. And I'm going to move into that in a minute. But let me tell you, when you start honoring God across the board with your thought life, with your personal life, your private life, your finances, everything. When you start honoring God, you put yourself in a position to truly be blessed by God. Let me give you two benefits. There's tons, but I'll give you two. When you start honoring God, what you'll, what you'll find is this. You will start to avoid unnecessary pain. A lot of problems that people find themselves dealing with right now is because they ignored or rejected or refused to submit to godly principle. 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money, the love of it, chasing after materialism, is a root of all sorts of evil. Some, by longing for money, for more wealth, have wandered away from the faith, and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is not necessarily a bad thing. Praise God. But if we ignore the blueprint that God has laid out in Scripture of how to handle money and we start to allow ourselves to get consumed with money and materialism, it will open the door for destruction in your life. Another principle. You will live a blessed life. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord from your wealth. Who's wealthy? I'm speaking of the richest people in the world today. Honor the Lord from your wealth, from the first of all your produce, from the first, the first, the first, the first 10, the first 12, the first 20, whatever you get to. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow. What was the dude's problem even in the, the narrative of uh, Luke in the parable? I got all this stuff. My land is producing more than I know what to do with. I need to tear down my barns and build bigger barns so I can store my stuff. No, 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 no. You need to start giving away a lot of what you've got and start living a generous life so that you can see how good God is. God never gives to us so that we can just abuse it. He gives to us so that he can give through us so that others can be blessed. When you put yourself in a position to become a conduit of God's blessings where he can flow through you, it will blow your mind. It is one of the most beautiful places to be. Now, let me say this. As we talk about stewardship and as we talk about honoring God, I do not believe in the modern day prosperity gospel that's being preached here in the Western culture by certain people. Then name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. And if you give a dollar, God's going to give you 20 is not biblical. That gospel, that teaching only works in the Western culture. We give out of faithfulness and obedience if i never get anything who cares i've been given breath and life and eternal life and a relationship with the king so the prosperity gospel when i hear it, it it makes me sick because it's an inconsistency with the heart of the savior that gospel doesn't work in haiti 
That gospel doesn't work in the Dominican Republic and third world cultures. That gospel doesn't work there. It's being preached here. Why? I guess because we need bigger airplanes. Now, let me say this. What percentage, what percentage of our uh, people in our church give what? How many families make up our number? I want you to see these slides. So if you look at how many families make up the Cross Loganville right now? 633 families. And I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. We went with Planning Center back in November, which is where, where we're housing names and information and all this stuff. We did a census in November. So this is a brand new census. You're sitting there, you represent like a family. And so we had these census cards where we had families fill them out in the month of November. So right now, we're looking at 633 families that call the Cross Loganville their home. That's good. Now, that number next year should be 755 if we reach, teach, train, and sin, if we're proactive with the gospel, if we're doing what God's called us to do. Now, one of the things we started looking at is based on that percentage of families, how many of them give nothing? They never give. Here's a staggering thing. Out of that number of 633 families, as Steve went through the numbers and finances, he said, do you realize that 17% of the families that call this place their home, they're not giving anything? What, what it tells me is they're sitting and soaking, but they're not embracing the gospel. There's multiple reasons why people don't give, but for a lot of people, they sit there and they're not trusting God. So it's hard for me to think that I speak to people week after week to equip people to mature and grow up in their faith who are not wanting to mature and grow up in their faith. It's not acceptable. And I look at it going, no, that, that, that's not good. That's not what God's called us to. Then we started looking at the next group. And then we were like, all right, how many people give rarely? Meaning some, some, somewhere between $1 and $250, this is what they gave last year. Now, here's what I would say. I would say people are going, hey, I recognize that there is a ladder of generosity, but I'm just rare. I, I, I mean, I might be one time a year, twice a year. I may throw a five or a 20 or something in there, but I, I'm, I'm not into it. Well, God doesn't have your heart because if God gets my heart, he gets my wallet. And if God gets my heart, he gets my eyes. And if God gets my heart, he gets my feet. What kind of playgrounds I go into. And if God gets my heart, he gets my time. And people say, I'm rarely giving to God. Well, if you're rarely giving anything, then what it means is you're not going to serve and you're not going to engage and probably it means you're not growing. So we started looking at the next group and we would call this next group the people that give randomly. And so that is, a, that is an interesting number right there. 16% give somewhere between $250 and $1,000. You go, okay, they're, they're, they're again flirting with a ladder, but they're not getting on the generosity ladder. They, again, are acknowledging that God's ladder exists, but I'm not going to go over to God's side yet. Now, that's an interesting number. We've seen movement from the give nothing to the rarely to the random happen over the last year. That's movement. That's good. But again, the tithe is the floor. It's not the ceiling. It's where you start. It's not where you stay. It's not even where you jump in. It's like, I got I to get in the game. So we started looking at the next group of those who give randomly, somewhere over $1,000, maybe $1,000, 2000 3000 4000 So we, if we take the, the socioeconomic average of Walton County and what it is, 
It was like, all right, how many people are giving over a thousand, but they're still not in the game? We go about 21%. Some have moved to 6%, 7%, but it's still random. And, and so we, we try to make this as easy as we can for you to honor God. We don't want your money. I just want to see you obey God and experience God's blessings. I want to see you, you start to live a generous life. That's all I want. I mean, your money is not going to make or break who I am, but it's going to make or break who you are. You see, if you don't have a plan for your money, the world does. And if you don't have a plan for your money to get under and align yourself with God's blueprint, the world, the world will tell you where to spend your money on entertainment and taxidermy and, and porn and beer. The world's got a plan for you. So does God. And God's is to protect you. So we started looking at that going, that's interesting. I mean, some people have moved, but they're still in the random category. Well, God doesn't want us to stay there. So we started looking at the next group that we will call our regular givers. And so the regular givers started to increase some, but when you start to look again at the demographics of this area and about what an average is, if you make, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me say this to you. If you make five, or if you make 50,000 a year and you tell people that you're tithing by giving 800 a year, you're not tithing. Tithing is, again, 10% off the gross. That's the biblical teaching. I, I didn't write it. I just submitted to it, and it's changed my life. And so what God is calling us to do is to become regular. You've got the envelope. You can fill it out. You can say, man, I'm staying faithful. You can set up online. There's all these different things that make it easy for you to stay a good steward. How many of y'all want to honor God? Come on, just tell the truth. How many of y'all are tired of just sitting there and not engaged in the game? And you know, no show of hands, but you're like, it's time to get in the game. Spencer, it's radically changed who you are, buddy. When you started saying, I'm in, I'm either going to get in or I'm not. And you and Carrie, I'm like, there's so many couples I look at going, look at their pledge of allegiance to the Lamb of God to say, I trust you. So then we started looking at what we would call our radical givers. And it's all in your bulletin right there. But here, here, here would be my challenge. Here would be my challenge. God is wanting you to move into radical generosity. God is wanting you to live a life of freedom. God is wanting you to get in the game. Now, I want you to watch this story. This is a powerful story from one of our 18-year-old girls in our youth group. Check this out. Good morning, Cross family. My name is Trevor Ryan. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at the Cross Loganville. And this morning we have with us Lisa Davis, a.k.a. Little Lisa. Lisa, if you would just quickly um, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and how you ended up here at the Cross Loganville. Um, I'm Lisa Davis, and I'm almost 19. And I am from Lombie. I was adopted about almost four years ago by Doug and Debbie Davis, and um, we've been coming to the cross, and August will be two years. One thing that has just blown us away about you in the time that we've known you is just your faithfulness and your generosity as a young person. We, we'd love to just share a bit of your testimony with the whole church this morning, so could you just tell us a little bit about why you choose to give faithfully and give generously back to God? The main reason is because it's not my money at the end of the day. Um, God has blessed me with a job 
We tried out so many different things that I wanted to do. I tried out kindergartens and daycares and that didn't work out. And Apparently Kroger was where I was supposed to be and I'm grateful. I'm thankful that I do have a job and that I have the opportunity to give back to him because he gave them to me. That's, that's really cool, and speaking of Kroger, this past weekend we had our winter retreat to Snowbird, and you said that you weren't able to get off of work. However, you, you came up to me, and you said that God had put it on your heart um, to pay for one of your peers, one of our students, to, to sponsor her financially, pay $140 so that she could come and be a part of this life-changing weekend. So why did you decide to to take that step of faith? Well, um, this year I have decided that I was going to use his money to bless others. Hmm. All right, Lisa, well, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your testimony of faithfulness and generosity. And I think I speak for all of us when I say that you are an inspiration to all of us in this church body. And I think for all of us, let's, let's learn from... Lisa's example and let us continue to be a, a church who is radically generous, who gives faithfully in all that we do. Man, that's a powerful story. All right, so Lisa, Trevor, you're talking with her, doing this interview with her. Powerful. This little girl four plus years ago, Doug and Debbie, who have been attending our fellowship, adopted her from Latvia right? And they bring her here and they immediately start taking her to church and she immediately starts sitting in worship and getting the word. And here she is out of just gratefulness, thankfulness. Man, I was adopted from this orphan kind of situation. I've been brought to a family that's loving me, but I've been brought to God. I've been brought to faith in Jesus. And here she is at 18 years old saying, why don't you give? Because it's not my money. Why don't you serve? Because it's not my life. The secret to life is to realize it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. It's a gift. We're to steward and manage what belongs to somebody else. So this little girl, finishing up high school, is looking at her peers going, some of these kids, divorced homes, tough situations, but I want that little girl to be able to go on this winter recharge, this snowbird retreat. So Trevor's got this team of people in there getting ready to go. And here comes little Lisa saying, I personally want to support and sponsor one of our other students to go on this trip. She can't afford it, but God's given me a job and it's not my money. So people sit here and they're like, I don't give. And some of you say, I don't give and I don't honor God in this area because I can't. I put myself in such financial paralysis that I can't do much right now. You can start to get on the ladder. Get off the wrong side of the ladder. Start moving toward the right side of the ladder and become regular. Come on. Some of you are sitting here saying, I don't give. And it's not because I can't. It's because I won't. And that's a pride issue. And you need to violently repent today. I'm not joking. If you sit there and you know that God has put you in a position where he's blessed you and you refuse to honor him, you need to violently repent and confess to the Savior 
that you're going to turn and you're going to start to walk in obedience to him because you will not experience God's blessings and you will not experience the freedom of God in your life if you're living in sin. And it is a sin because the scripture says if we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, it's a sin. So we want to help you. I mean, I laid out, we've got Steve Trailer. He'll be in the uh, Ask Me area at the end. We've got a dollars and cents class. We want to help shepherd you and uh, coach you so that you, you can become free with the resources that God's provided. Dave Ramsey, Ron Blue, Larry Burkett. There's a ton of resources. Here's the way I broke it down for Barb and I years, of, years ago. Oh, I wrote down the words give, save, invest, and lifestyle. And then at the very bottom, debt services if there was any. How did you start? We started at 10%. We moved up to 19%. Next year will be more like 21, 22%. So we're going to give to kingdom work. We're going to save. How much are you going to save? Well, I started with a 10, 10, 80 approach. We will give 10. We will save 10. We will live on 80%. Now, I started looking at it a few years ago, and I'm like, well, man, praise God. It's a 15, 15, 70 approach. We give 15%. We invest 15%. And we live on 70%. Then I started looking at it over the last couple of years, and I'm like, man, we're at about a 20-20-60. Can I tell you something? I would love to be standing in front of you 10 years from now and to say that it's a 40-40-20 approach, that we're giving 40%, we're investing 40%, and we're only living on 20% because we don't need any more. Would, not, not, would that not be cool that we could put ourselves in a position like that and realize that God that God has provided so much that I'm not looking to build more barns. I'm looking to take the grain that's in the barn and start distributing it because the soil is still producing. I'm telling you, young married, you will not go wrong by obeying God. Malachi 3, God invites you to test him. God says, come on, test me. How will a man rob God? How will he rob God? God says, you're robbing me. You go, how? He goes, tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. It would be wise to get into that text and go, you're cursed with a curse because you're robbing me, the whole nation of you? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, the whole tithe, the first fruits, so that there may be food in my house. Test me. This is one of the only times in Scripture God goes, test me. Test me. Come on, come on, test me. And see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. Why? It's not ours. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. Everything belongs to God. What are we to do? We're to steward it. How do you do it? If I make $10, I'm going to give a dollar. If I make 20, I'm giving two. And so we started looking at this going, all right, what are we going to do over the next couple of years? We're going to increase already, if I make 50000 and I'm giving five, we're going to increase what we're doing over the next two years 80%. That's what we're going to do. Why? Because we believe in what God is doing here. We believe in the principles, and we believe God says, come on, homie, test me. Test me. I got your back. I know what I'm up to. I own it all anyway. You can't outgive me because I gave you breath in the first place. I opened my mouth and created the worlds. This is where I land. And I probably still say this to myself about once a month. I do. I'm like, 
God didn't start when start got started. He started start. He didn't begin when the beginning began. He began the beginning. He reached out where there was nowhere to reach and caught something where there was nothing and slung something into nowhere and told it to stay there. And it did. And he took the hammer of his will and he smote the anvil of his omnipotence and caught the sparks in his fingertips. And he flipped them in his face and he called them stars. And nobody said anything because there was nobody to say anything to. He's God. He's got it under control. So where am I going to go? I'm going to go to the one who started start. I'm going to go to the one who establishes the blueprint and design for mankind. And when I submit to that lordship and leadership, watch God work. Work.